Welcome to the VoiceOver Insider Podcast. For VO industry news, tips, and information, be sure to subscribe using the subscribe button on this site. I'm Gary McFadden, the podcast co-host, along with Julie Williams. Today we're talking with Jim Edgar, a voice talent in California who also consults with other voice talent on a range of technical issues. Jim Edgar, welcome to the VoiceOver Insider. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate you inviting me over today. So uh, great, great to connect with you. I'm looking forward to our chat. So before we get into technical aspects, let's learn a little bit about you. I know from a conversation with you several months ago that you and I were both involved in the bicycling industry back in the 80s and 90s. How did you get involved in voiceover? Uh, I actually was a little after you in the bike business. Oh, is that right? um, Yeah, I had kind of worked in outdoor retail, uh, running stores and things like that for a while, and then uh, moved across to a multi-chain retail store here in the Bay, greater Bay Area in California and uh, worked as a marketing person and worked in training for um, for all our stores and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of came into it mid-90s through the t- early 2000s. Okay. Um, and so that was sort of my, my heyday. I you know pretty much have been a bike geek from the time I could push a tricycle around the neighborhood. So uh, definitely was one of those things where it let me uh, make a little bit of income based on things I love, which curiously enough is kind of how I got into voiceover too. Oh, okay. Uh, I ended up, um, well, one of the things that, that I noticed early on was that, you know, I would have to, this was back, you know, kind of pre internet as we all know it now. And so we would have to go through, you know, all 14 stores and update the managers and general and uh, assistant managers on what we're doing that week. And so I would have to call essentially 13 stores that say, hey, this is what we're going to promote. This is what we're going to talk about. And uh, I got off the phone with uh, store number 10. And about two minutes later, I got this call back and the guy on the other end of the line was just saying, you know, if you don't care about us, don't bother calling us. And it's like, whoa, what did I do? And I I kind of clicked that I was kind of tired at the end of the day and my voice was not there and, and all that energy that I had had on the first stores, you know, had kind of dissipated by the time I got to this poor guy. Okay. And so he took it personally, you know, he took it that, you know, I wasn't connected to him. I wasn't talking to him. Uh, you know, all those things that we try to do as voice actors. And so uh, that sort of woke me up to the the fact that, you know, how you talk about something a lot of times is uh, almost as important as what you're talking about. Indeed. Um, and then uh, I also had kind of for my earliest days, I, as I like to say, my my best friends growing up were animated characters. And so, uh, you know, all the various cartoon characters and everything like that was always, um, you know, very real to me. And so as I grew up and, and kind of liked that world of, of writing what I called radio plays and recording them at home. I kind of always had that little, you know, playing around with voices thing that I think a lot of us do. And then, um, you know, working in retail and going into adult and having a regular paycheck was nice. But about every year, I would kind of hear this little story about a local voiceover institute that was giving classes and or I'd see the owner on one of the morning shows or on a radio show or something like that. And um, my wife, I think, at the time was getting a little tired of me having our dogs sing and talk to each other every time they had meals. And so gave me a little intro to voiceover class for my birthday. Hmm. 
And I walked into that. It was voice tracks in, in Sausalito. Uh, walked into that, and, and in about the first five minutes, I knew I was home. And I knew I needed to do this for the rest of my life. And so that's kind of the point at which I started taking classes and, you know, really learning everything I could about the industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, got, you know, got working, got kind of got my first job within a year or so of t- starting taking classes. Uh, got signed with Stars Agency out here in the San Francisco area uh, a couple of years after that. And uh, basically went full time about... Gosh, I guess about uh, nine years, seven years, eight years, somewhere around like, like that. And so it's kind of my day job now, which is nice. What uh, what types of VO do you specialize in? Uh, I I have kind of a mix. I've got a fairly versatile voice, so um, I kind of can lend myself to really wacky, immersed characters. Uh, done a lot of video game work. We have a lot of that out here in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the earliest point, um, I think the first job I ever got was an e-learning job, and that's always been a component of of my annual business, uh, where I you know solicit and, and work on training videos, and that's you know that's been a nice, consistent part of the business. Uh, done a fair number of commercials, and the you know both kind of low local. Um, I'm, uh, I think uh, I show up in Indiana for some reason. There's a couple of, uh, of, of insurance companies that like to use me back there. Uh, I'm also a, um, uh, what is it? How do they say it? Oh, a Disney authorized uh, voice for stormtroopers. So oh. I've been on a uh, stormtrooper ornament, which Hallmark put out a few years ago. <laughs> uh, and so I, I got to, I get to kind of um, Press the button, make it work, and then I kind of guard, you know, warn people away from the packages. So oh, there's all sorts, of, all sorts of things. So through your website, justaskjimvo.studio, you offer a free audio review plus a range of other technical coaching services. What got you interested in having people submit audio samples and doing consulting? Well, it, it kind of came along with taking the classes, and part of it was that I spent a good um, a good portion of high school, college, and, and years after messing around in recording studios and in uh, computer music studios where we were doing a lot of the early digital recording uh, systems and, and using those to, to record stuff. And I kind of had put it all aside. You know, I'd messed around, as I said, with cassette decks, you know, from the time I was five or six. Uh, I played with, you know, multi-track recording, uh, worked in recording studios, um, both shared and, and through classes and um you know, not I wasn't getting paid for it, but I was kind of like the gopher in a lot of places. So we did a lot of setup. Uh, and then I think the second voiceover class I took, um, they had lost the signal on the mixer. And I went over and it was bust wrong. And I pressed the button and it was kind of like everybody, you know, it's like the, the, the angel angelic light came on. It's like, how did you know how to do that? It's like, well, it was it was bust wrong. <laughs> and so doesn't everybody know that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I started kind of having other voice actors come to me and say, hey, I want to set up a studio at home. How do I do that? And at the time, um, this was 2007, 2008, it was really just the point at which the Bay Area uh, agencies were telling their actors, you're not going to come in and read. You're going to have to figure out how to record this stuff at home. Hmm. And so uh, there was kind of this you know, influx of people who had been working, but they'd always gone down to the agency and had a booth director and had somebody record them. Uh, so I just started kind of helping people at that point, and it really grew into a parallel business back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all that, you know, as I like to say, all those all those years and hours watching tape rewind have finally paid off. Okay. 
So I submitted an audio sample myself a couple of months ago, you might remember. I do. And in the follow-up session, we decided that I might want to vary my mic position a bit, which I've mm-hmm. done. Uh, but we didn't come up with anything really serious uh, as a fix, which was gratifying because I just spent about a month completely rebuilding my studio space. But by now, I imagine you've had many, many audio samples submitted, possibly in the hundreds or? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of, because I'm just nerdy enough to track that stuff. I'm pushing, it is uh, September of 2020, for those of you who are listening in the future. Uh, and I, this year, I've got somewhere north of 425 reviews oh that I've gosh. done. So it's, and that's that's pretty consistent year to year. It kind of ramped up uh three or four years ago, and it stayed at that kind of level where I, I kind of have them always coming in. And, and uh, it's kind of a lot of times my, my little morning task to, to get through the, the, the unfortunate backlog that seems to have appeared. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking it would be instructive to our listeners if you could detail uh, maybe the top two or three problems or challenges that you're hearing in those samples that you receive. Sure. Yeah, I think there's uh, th- that's, that's a really... Um, it's interesting the degree to which those problems do sort of center on some very specific kinds of things. So mm-hmm. uh, hopefully, um, you know, if I as I go through these things, it's something that a lot of people can check themselves, or you know, I'm happy to check stuff and or at least recommend people who have good ears. Uh, but the it all a lot of it comes down to listening and how you are actually monitoring what you're hearing. So a lot of people still use their internal speakers on their computer or they use a, you know, on their laptop or they use a fairly cheap uh, consumer grade brand of headphones, which doesn't give you the, the detail that you really need to hear stuff back. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of, you know, as, um, as I often tell my, the classes that I teach, uh, my w- wife is a visual artist. And so when we start doing painting together, she's always saying, well, you know, you just need to see a little better and then you'll paint better. Uh, and to which always angers people who can't paint or draw. But the point is kind of the same in audio, that if we're not listening to something that can render that audio back to us in a way that shows us the detail and shows us the flaws, we're never going to come to any conclusion about what to do about it. Uh, so the, the first thing I always recommend is that people get a good set of, you know, studio monitor headphones, something that's not just, just a cheap um, consumer, you know, Best Buy kind of things or mm-hmm. a consumer, <laughs> consumer electronics outlet kind of thing. Uh, and that kind of, that's kind of step one. So at least we're talking kind of using the same language that you can hear really what I'm hearing as I give you feedback on that stuff. Okay. Uh, the big things uh, are kind of the basics. It's um, let's make sure that we're isolated from environmental sounds, and that can be a lot of different things. Uh, the most common thing for some reason is that because we're using the computer to record, a lot of people put their microphone right next to the computer. Okay. And so the first thing I'm hearing in a lot of recordings is the fan or the electronics of the computer interfering or in some way, in, you know, stuff that is outside of your voice, something that's coming in from the environment, which gives a noise floor, which makes it very difficult for us to hear you. And so if we can, first of all, isolate the microphone from the computer and get away from you know, one of the primary noise sources, then we have to kind of start listening to what's going on in our space. And the human brain is really good at filtering out stuff that isn't trying to kill or eat you. So that um, 
if, for example, there's kind of a little bit of traffic noise in the background uh, in your, uh, you know, in your home or apartment or wherever you live, uh, you're going to not notice that after a while. Mm-hmm. And so you don't think there's any background noise going on until we stick a microphone in that room and try to record because the mic doesn't have a brain, so it's not going to filter that stuff out. And so if we simply rely upon you know, our, our perception of a space, it's not going to show us as, as true a uh, result as when we stick the microphone in the room. So the other thing that people hear is, you know, we get it away from our computer, but then we've got, you know, the neighbor's, you know, uh, radios kind of coming through the window. There's a little bit of traffic noise. Uh, you know, there's the sound of water pipes in the wall and things like that, all of which we kind of don't notice, but the microphone is going to be really effective at okay. picking up. Mm-hmm. So if we can kind of get that environmental sounds wrangled and under control, that's sort of step one. Uh, step two is really about kind of reflection uh, in the space. Uh, okay. That's sort of the thing that that really makes it very difficult to listen to. Uh, I think we're, because we're all in our uh, pan- pandemic period listening to people recording at home, uh, all of a sudden I think a lot of people are noticing on broadcast uh, like news broadcasts and things like that. Uh, they're hearing all of a sudden this horrible audio because somebody's in kind of an echoey environment. You know, it's the difference between it being in a heavily tiled kitchen and, and talking and hearing that kind of slapback echo, that doubling of your voice versus being in your clothes closet where all that soft material is, is absorbing the reflections. And so uh, that's sort of step two for most people. If we can uh, eliminate what we call primary reflections or uh, anything that's bouncing off hard surfaces is going to come back into the microphone and really distract us from your core tone as you're speaking. Once we kind of isolate the environmental noises and once we put some padding up to deal with a lot of those reflections, that gets us a good chunk of the way there. Then we can start worrying about kind of the third thing, which is setting a proper input gain. And in a lot of cases, people are not really aware how to do that with their with their recording har- uh, software or hardware. Uh, most microphones, you know, have some sort of place either in the software in your computer, uh, the hardware interface that it's connected to, or perhaps if you're using a USB direct connected mic, it might actually have an input dial on the microphone itself. But we want to kind of set an, a conservative level that raises our voice up out of the kind of the general noise floor in our space, but isn't so loud and overpowering that it starts distorting. Um, And so we kind of want to, usually I like to give people a a guide of uh, having peaks of their audio, which is kind of the loudest part of their audio, hitting somewhere between minus 12 and minus 6. And if it's a little below that, that's probably better. We don't want to go much above that because what happens when we go past that point is that we start getting up towards uh, zero dB, which is really the loudest possible level that our systems can record. Now, if we, as a, as a, as a sound source, go higher than that, it's going to distort in very uh, unattractive ways. It's going to sound kind of like you're talking through a broken speaker, or you'll hear kind of weird, buzzy, uh, kind of an overdriven sound, and it's not pleasant, and more importantly, it really can't easily be fixed. Okay. And so if you distort on the input, uh, we're working with a signal that is always going to kind of be, uh, 
you know, sacrificed in some way, shape, or form. It's never going to sound as good as it possibly can. Okay, you said uh, minus 12 to minus 6 dB. What about, uh, do you hear many people coming under that, like minus 20 dB? Yeah, as I say, I think I'd, I'd much rather see somebody come in lower than that because uh, we can, with digital recording, if we're doing everything else well in terms of controlling the space and in terms of keeping the environmental noise out, we can be a little more conservative than that. Uh, that if you're, and again, I'm I'm talking specifically about the peaks in your audio, which is kind of the loudest part of it. Mm-hmm. If somebody were recording, you know, minus 20 to minus 18 or so, that's that's not going to make me worry too much. Uh, where I start to, where we start to have a, run into a little bit of trouble is if people are super low, if they're down in like minus 30, minus 40. And that's sort of the area where we end up gaining a lot of, we, we can end up getting a lot of noise from the system as we make that louder later. Right. So we're trying to kind of separate you from the sound. We're, we're setting a level that lets us separate you from the overall noise in your space without really distorting it. So it is it is a little bit of a wider range than that range that I mentioned. Uh, and if in doubt, I would always be a little lower rather than a little louder. Okay. Now, you mentioned a, a term a little earlier, uh, noise floor, and I'm not mm-hmm. sure everyone knows what that is. Can, ah, you, uh, okay. can you elaborate? Yeah, that's that's basically the sound of your room when you're not talking. And so um, what the important variable is that is that it would be that you have your input set. So, for example, you and I are talking, uh, if I were recording myself, I would have the input of my interface set so that these peaks, sort of the loudest syllables that I say are hitting minus, you know, minus six, minus 12, somewhere in that range. And then if I'm silent, if I stop talking, that's the noise floor with an appropriate input recording level. Uh, I know there are some people who say, I'm getting this, you know, minus 120 or a minus 90 noise floor, which Hmm. is again, when they're not talking. Uh, But what they've done is they've cranked down their input to sort of artificially end up with a low noise floor. So when we're talking about noise floor, we're talking about it in context of an appropriate input level for the source, essentially for the voice that you have. Okay, and that's an input level that's going to give you this um, minus 12 to minus 6 dB on the peaks. Correct, yeah. Okay, okay. With, um, with gain, I've, I've heard the phrase gain staging. What, what does that mean? Um, gain staging is essentially the way we make stuff louder. And uh, for what we do in voiceover, it's probably not going to impact us too much. Okay. Uh, because most people that are recording uh, are using a, a – the typical voiceover mic is a large diaphragm condenser. Uh, those tend to be fairly sensitive, and also they have a pretty good output so that when we come out of our microphone into our interface, uh, for example, that interface that changes it from, you know, the electric voltage that comes out of our microphone to the ones and zeros our computer can deal with, when it does that, it's also amplifying our signal a little bit. So it's running it through what's uh, what's called a preamp or an amplifier that's inside that interface. Um, and that's usually... that alone usually gives us enough gain or amplification to take, you know, this tiny little movement that's happening in the diaphragm of the microphone that's being transmitted through the electronics of the mic and out the cable. 
That's what gets amplified into what we hear. In a more complex recording environment, or if you're using a much lower output microphone, what you'll end up with is uh, having to amplify that at a couple of points on the input stage. And so people will use uh, uh, the other type of generally, or the, the other type of mic that people will generally use would be a dynamic microphone, okay. which doesn't need to be powered, but it puts out a lot less signal. And so you'll typically run a dynamic mic into a first amplification stage and then a second amplifier before it gets to your computer. And that's roughly speaking what people will refer to as gain staging, that you're building that signal up so that you're bringing a, a low-level signal up to a usable signal. Okay. And again, it, it's probably more, more important for, um, you know, if, if you are, uh, for example, recording a band in a, in a regular studio where you've got a bunch of different output sources. You've got guitars, which have a, you know, electric guitar has a super low-level signal. That's why we run it through an amplifier. Voices have low levels, you know, depending on the microphone you're coming from, you may have to balance all those inputs. So gain staging theoretically is a way of doing that in a way where we're not distorting at any one of those gain steps. So if, if I'm using a, uh, uh, the typical uh, large condenser mic going into a preamp, which is then going into an interface, uh, I'm not really going to be concerned about gain staging per se. I just want to set the gain knob on the interface uh, or the preamp, I suppose, mm -hmm. to give me that minus 6 to minus 12 dB. Correct. Yeah, and I, I would say the only refinement I would say with that is is almost every interface that you're likely to have is both an interface and a preamp in one. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in some cases where, you know, as people get more advanced, sometimes they actually use a separate preamp to give uh, kind of tonal coloration. It gives it a little bit of a different sound when mm -hmm. you use those separate preamps sometimes. And that's where you kind of have to have to worry that you're not pushing signal out of that preamp into another preamp inside your interface. Right. And so you have to, that would be a place where you do have to be a little mindful that you're balancing between those two gain steps in your input. Okay. So in my case, I do have a, a separate preamp um, and I've set the, um, the preamp control on the interface, which is a USB interface, uh, to, to zero um, so that it's not, I'm not getting a preamp on top of a preamp. Yeah, and and that's yeah, that's generally speaking that's correct. That's um, some of the some of the interfaces uh, allow you to actually bypass the preamps. You can actually plug in at a place that is after that preamp stage. Okay. Uh, in some cases you have to as you're talking about dial down the the amplification inside the unit uh, and rely upon that gain that you're getting from the outside amplifier. So uh, uh just uh, in a in a way a summary of the the big problems that you're seeing i i'm hearing that the the kind of the the top problems have more to do with the room both in terms of uh letting noise in uh and then reflections in the room once once you're sitting there doing your your recording is that right absolutely yeah those are those are really the two main challenges i think most people have uh and as i like to say the um the microphone is never going to sound any better than the room that it's in. 
Mm -hmm. So we all get, you know, as voiceover, as voice actors, it's very easy for us to get focused on, oh, I need this mic or that mic or the other one. Uh, And a lot of people I know use kind of, you know, adequate quality microphones, but they've spent a lot of time dialing in their space. And Mm. so a, a decent mic, and when I say you know, decent for voiceover, we're probably looking, you know, if you invest a couple of hundred bucks, you can get a very good quality large diaphragm condenser mic and put that in a room that's been exceptionally well treated. That's easily going to answer most of the issues or most of the requirements that that your work is going to require. Well, that segues nicely into my last question, which is uh, I've been seeing in various online forums and Facebook groups a proliferation of what are generally called mic shootouts. And for listeners who aren't familiar with that term, it generally involves one or more uh, voiceover talents gathering several microphones, generally a couple of well-known ones like a Neumann TLM-103, a Sennheiser 416, maybe something from Rode, and then testing that against uh, whatever new mic it is that they're that they're doing in the shootout. Uh, do you feel that there is much value in these mic shootouts? I think the, to my mind, the the biggest value is that it makes people aware that there are some other mics that might be useful. Okay. Um, I, I would also say that, uh, and I'm, I guess I'm trying to be a little bit kind because I, I I think that the mic shootouts are interesting from an entertainment point of view. But one of the <laughs> things that that most people don't realize is that if they're watching that mic shootout or a mic comparison test or or whatever they've got going through YouTube or, you know, through some of the social media, um, you know, videos, all that video that you're watching and listening to has been processed. Mm -hmm. And so uh, a lot of the times, once you get something that's pretty good, you know, and again, that's sort of that $200 is kind of a nice place to think about. You've gotten some quality that's really usable level. Once you get past that point, the differences in a lot of the cases are, are getting more and more subtle. Uh, you know, from the from the bicycle business, there there was this period where titanium uh, uh, components were all the rage, and you would spend you know five times as much to save a little bit of weight on your bicycle. Right. The same is kind of true on microphones. That past a certain point, we're really splitting finer and finer hairs, and so uh, certainly, it's not that it doesn't sound better. It's the question becomes, you know, is it worth spending $2,000 to get this microphone that's, you know, not necessarily going to be hugely different from one that's $1,000 or $800 or $600? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so since we're relying upon the quality of that audio to make that decision, if we're listening to audio that's been compressed and processed through a, a video presentation it's very difficult to make that choice just from that audio. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, you can take a, a Sennheiser 416 and, you know, one of these uh, couple hundred dollar shotgun mics, um, which are often, it's kind of one of the one of the ones you see a lot of. And in a lot of cases, what happens is that the audio does sound pretty similar. But if you were to, able to go back and get that raw audio, the you know, an uncompressed wave file from both of those, you'd probably hear a much stronger difference. And so... In some cases, there are some folks who do, you know, very um, comprehensive comparisons of those where they are, they'll have the videos so you see what they look like, but they'll also post the uh, uncompressed or unprocessed waves between the two microphones. Oh, okay. That would be pretty useful. That, that's something that you can go to and listen to. Uh, there's a, there's a uh, 
project uh, that, that came out over the last year called Audio Test Kitchen, where uh, they uh, spent a lot of time coming up with setups that can be easily compared between different microphones so that you can hear you know, what the top 50 or 60 mics sound like in a neutral environment. And then they provide high resolution audio. Those things are, are actually pretty helpful and it can kind of get you in the ballpark in terms of, you know, what, what mic sounds good or bad. Okay. Um, you know, I've done some, we, we did a big uh, gathering up here of voice actors last year where we had six mics um, in the room and, and 35, 40 voice actors go through and put themselves on those different microphones and you know i supplied all the wave audio back to them and you can tell the difference on something like that it's certainly not that um that it's not a valid way of going but you just want to be mindful that the source material is in fact you know not processed i think a lot of people do they they want to buy a microphone or they they feel like they're they're ready for the new mic and they they look at these uh, um online uh, mic shootouts and and I, it just seemed to me that there'd be so many variables between my space, my voice, uh, the other equipment in my audio chain uh, compared to what the person doing the shootout is using. Well, I think you nailed it right there. I mean, that's that's the other aspect. That's even you know, but even even before we even get to all those variables, which aren't terribly comparable, uh, I think your you know your insight there is perfect. That that's uh, that's exactly the next problem, which is that you know my space is different than your space. Well, Jim Edgar, I regret very much to say we're out of time. Oh no! Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, joining us today on the Voiceover Insider. Uh, please remind listeners how they can get in touch with you. Uh, sure. The best best thing for um, my audio consulting services is to go to justaskjimvo.studio. Uh, and if you go there, you'll actually see a little button where I will be happy to uh, either do a little 15-minute consult or if you want to send me some audio for a quick review, uh, there's a quick button to do that. Uh, I'd like to, for the listeners to this podcast, uh, t- offer that if you let me know when you fill out when you upload that audio, you'll fill out a form. Just let me know that you found it your way there through this podcast, and I'll kind of nudge you up to the front of the queue. Because as I mentioned earlier, uh, I've got a bit of a backlog on these things, and so it can take a couple of couple of weeks or so sometimes. Uh, but I'd like to, as I say, uh, offer that to anybody who is has listened to us today to uh, just let me know, and I'll bump you up to the front of the line there. Oh, I appreciate that. Certainly. And I'm sure our listeners will appreciate that too. My pleasure. All right. Thanks again, Jim. All right, Greg. Thank you. And to our listeners, Julie Williams will be back in two weeks with her interview with author, voice artist, and producer Mark Cashman. We hope you'll join us then. And if you like the podcast, please take a moment to leave a review or a quick ranking at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcasts. We'll talk with you soon. Thank you.